0: you're seated, we t- get into God's word today, look to somebody next to you, tell them God is great, tell them God is great, shake somebody's hand, maybe somebody you've never met before, tell them good morning, tell them God bless you, can we also give a, a round of applause for this amazing team, wow, what a what a beautiful time in worship today, we don't, this is no concert. Amen. They don't look for glory in any way. They want to exalt Christ. I mean, you gotta, you gotta know that if you ever get to know any of these people on this stage on on these, this band, they are, um, so interested in just exalting Christ. Amen. So good. Um, so, uh, we're continuing our study in Luke chapter three and, uh, we're on the third week of chapter three. I don't know how we're going to get through this book. I, I'm just, I have no idea how we're going to do it. Uh, we're shooting to be in the resurrection story in Easter of 2025. Somehow we're going to go through this book of, East, uh, book of Luke, and I just don't know how we're going to do it. And you know, you can't spend three weeks in the book of Luke chapter three, Andrew. So. But we're going to finish it today. I'm real excited because we're going to look at some, uh, a very, very special moment and the life and ministry of both John and Jesus, we're talking about John, right I mean um, and I don't know why my 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 heart and my mind was just thinking about that during worship today about about pride and ego and I mean John the Baptist had every opportunity to get all of the intention for himself, you know like he's just he's just such a bad dude I mean he's wearing you know just camel's hair and eating bugs and, and and just preaching. And he, people are just like, man, this guy's amazing because he's just so good at it, you know? And he just keeps saying, man, don't get it confused. Jesus is great. I am not great, you know? And, and John the Baptist is just so intent on showing him, showing the people that I have no power to save you. Only Jesus can save and he's like, you know, I'm dunking people in water, right? John the Baptist is dunking people in water, and he's basically, I'm just getting you wet. There's somebody who's coming who is going to anoint you and fill you with the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, it's like this is, this is no comparison. I'm doing a human thing. Jesus Christ is going to come and do a divine thing, something heavenly, something amazing, something precious, something different about Jesus that's, that's coming. And it's extremely important, as we've discussed in this opening act of the life and ministry of Jesus, that John really is the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And really, friends, John the Baptist is the last prophet before the um, before the ministry and life of Jesus. I mean, he is. This is this is it. And he has come to prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. And uh, we've looked a lot at John. You know, Jesus will say, and just keep this in mind, Jesus will say later on in one of the other Gospels that of all the men born of women, none is greater than John. Just think about that for a second. John the Baptist is the greatest man who's ever lived. But he remains humble, even with all of the attention and fame and popularity John just keeps pointing to Jesus. Jesus is coming. It's all about Jesus. What a, what a great attitude for us, amen, in our, in our walk with the Lord, in our, in our short time on this earth, to have that perspective. It's all about Jesus, amen. It's all about him. And I wonder if sometimes there's gaps in the reality of that, because I think that for the believer, there is a changed heart to say, you know, I want it to be all about Jesus, but sometimes it doesn't always look that way in my life. Amen, somebody? It doesn't always end up being about Jesus. It ends up being about other things and other priorities and other distractions and other interests. And, 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 and John had this beautiful life story of of. Great expectation. And he ends up coming to a place where he says, man, it's all about Jesus. And I want us to have that heart too. Amen. And in verse 17, if you look at Luke chapter three, verse 17, um, we we ended on this last. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the weed into his barn. But the chaff he will burn. With unquenchable fire, that is hell. Separation is coming, and it's another warning, amen. Christ is the only way, and there is a dividing line for those who don't believe and those who believe. So we need to trust in Jesus. And then verse 18, this is the very first verse of our sermon today. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Luke kind of gives a summary here when he says this. With many of many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people, and it's kind of interesting that he's just got done talking about hell, and then he says, "Oh, this is all good news." (laughs) Amen. Like, hey, here, you know, is dividing. You know, if you don't believe, you're going to hell, and and he's saying, Luke, saying, "This is really good news." Well, it's really good news to those who believe. It's not such good news for non-believers. And John didn't hold back, amen? Like, John is out there. He is preaching. He doesn't care if, if it's a Gentile, if it's a Jew, if you're a religious leader, if you're a warrior, a tax collector, a soldier. He didn't care. He's preaching to everyone, amen? He is getting the word out there that Christ is coming. And he's yelling, repent, you're a sinner, you brood of vipers. We learned that last week, right? And he's telling all these different people. And some did repent, right? Some were dunked in water, and some didn't. Verse 19, but Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him, that's John, for Herodias, that's a woman, his brother's wife, that's his sister-in-law, for all the evil things that Herod had done added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, Luke is not intending to be chronological here. uh, Chronological here. Herod didn't actually put him in prison right at this point. You've got to take all the Gospels and look at them together. But in fact, there is an overlap that you can see in the Gospel of John chapter three that, in fact, John the Baptist's ministry actually continues as Jesus' ministry started. Okay, so 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 Jesus here is about to be baptized by John. And just just for clarification here, he's about to get baptized by John. John uh, now, then Jesus launches his ministry and John continues his for about six months until there's some drama. Everybody say drama. How many of you love drama? You say, oh, I don't. I hate drama. Mm, come on. You know that you look at that Facebook post, you know, that comment, and you start reading, and you want to see all the drama about who said what, and who looked at the post, and like, oh, my goodness, because you love drama. Some of y'all love the drama. She said, what? Well, right here in scripture, there's a bunch of drama and I wish I wish I had time to go into this, but then we would do another week in the, in Luke chapter three. And I don't want to do that, but let me just say this. Um, <laughs> there is divorce, seduction, adultery, incest, pure evil. Here, Herod is a wicked, wicked man. Okay. I'm not going to say much more than that, but there's a sister-in-law involved. Divorce is happening, and it is, I mean, it is all over the news. Like, it has swept the lands. Everybody knows about it. Now, Luke is going to move the focus to Jesus for the rest of the Gospels. But in verse 19, when he mentions this drama, uh, it really shows us that John's boldness had no limits. Like, John was not afraid of anyone. He was courageous to speak the word, to speak truth. Amen? And and oftentimes, he didn't just preach to a general audience. He would make it very personal. Just imagine showing up to church every day. You're sitting in the front pew. And the preacher, he just ignores everybody else. Like, imagine, you know, Andrew is sitting there. Andrew. Man, you really stink. You are a horrible sinner. All those wicked things that you do, you must repent. And you're just sitting there like, dude, you know there's like a hundred other people here. Why are you talking to me? And that's how John the Baptist would preach. He would just get right in your face and tell it like it is. Well, Herod here is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. Herod Even though he wasn't really a king, considered himself a king, and he ruled for about 42 years in this region under Caesar. So he's a big deal. No one, no one trifled with Herod, any of the Herods. No one would mess with the Herods except John the Baptist. John directly rebuked this man Herod, not once or twice, but regularly. He continually exposed and called out the sin of this man. He challenged the moral character of this man. And so, again, there's so much wickedness here, so much about this seduction and all of this this wicked, nasty way of life that Herod was living. So Herod doesn't like this, and Luke tells us that he had John in prison. And we're going to learn later that John is actually beheaded by Herod. Luke's account is brief, but all four gospels write about this event. And so we're looking today in the climax of our story today, uh, the really the culmination of everything that we've been talking about is really coming to this moment. It's a beautiful moment, and it's the introduction of Christ to the world. No one knows who Jesus is, No one knows who he is. The only people that know who he is are his parents and some close relatives. That's it. And they received a prophecy. No one knows who is the Christ. No one knows he is alive. Right. Remember, we saw him at 12 years old in the temple. No one knows. Now, keep that in mind as we read through this story, that Jesus is alive He's about 30 years old, and nobody can point him out in the crowd. Just think about that for for a little bit. I want to take us to some details from the other Gospels because Luke's account is so brief. There's a few details that we can see in both the book of John, the book of Mark, the book of Matthew, and I just want to pull out a few little details. So for you Bible nerds, You know, when I call you a Bible nerd, that's a good thing. I just want you to know that. That is a loving thing. I want you to be a Bible nerd, like the Bereans, amen? I want you to be like, ooh, I want more of the Word of God in my life. And I'm just like, I want to, you're just like, boom, I'm just, you're just taking notes. That's a beautiful thing. I just, it's a compliment. Anyways, for you Bible nerds, in John chapter 1, verse 29, there's a, 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 a little detail here I want to I share with you. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me. Look at the humility there. Amen. Because he was before me. Now, this is speaking of eternity past. This is not saying that in some way, you know, think about it. John is older than Jesus. And when he's talking here, he's talking about the eternal nature of Christ himself in the Godhead. Okay, it's important. Now, listen. Verse 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And so John the Baptist is finally at the pinnacle of his ministry. Jesus is going to be revealed and identified, the Lamb of God. He has come to deal with sin at last. To be wounded for our transgressions. The Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin. And he offers himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Bore our sins in his own body. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You see, the Jews, they wanted a prophet. They wanted a king. And they got a lamb. They wanted a leader, a monarch, a powerful monarch. And instead, they got a humiliated sacrifice. But the truth is, the Jews could never have a king until they had a lamb. They needed a lamb. They needed a perfect sacrifice to deal with the sins of humanity. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For the whole world, there's only one who can take away sin. And this is the one who will die as the sacrificial lamb. Amen. So finally, John, uh, Jesus approaches John. And there's another detail. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, just for a quick second here. Matthew 3, 13 and 14. Jesus approaches John and John realizes that it's him and they have a conversation. Look at what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. That's the Jordan. The Jordan is the Jordan River where John was baptizing, dunking people in water. And he said to be baptized by him. 14. Look at what it says. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? See, Jesus shows up and there's this massive problem John is identifying, right? Because who is this baptism for? Who is the baptism for? Sinners. This is a public demonstration and confession. I'm a sinner. I need cleansing. John baptized me. But John is looking at Jesus like, You don't need this baptism. You're the son of the most high God. You're sinless. You're the holy child. You have no sin. And and, and you know, it's a reasonable protest. Amen. Like this makes sense. We shouldn't baptize Jesus. He's perfect. Why would we baptize him? And John says look, if everybody sees you getting baptized, they're going to think, well, he's just like us, he's just a sinner. And John says, this is a problem, Jesus. I don't think we should do it this way. In fact, I don't want anybody to make that assumption. Look, what needs to happen, Jesus, is you need to baptize me. I'm a sinner. Amen? You just baptize me. That's a better plan. I can't, Jesus. I cannot baptize you, the Son of God. Matthew 3.15. Now, before I read this. Hide it on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. Before I read this, now, listen. I did quite a bit of uh, studying, lots of commentaries, probably about nine or ten different commentaries on the baptism of Jesus. And why did Jesus get baptized? I'm telling you, there is no conclusion. I mean, the list of reasons of why John the Baptist got ba- uh, Jesus got baptized by John, it's like, oh, well, it's, it was Jesus uh, just showing the world, confirming John the Baptist's ministry. Okay, maybe, yeah. I mean, the, the list of reasons. Well, he was to identify with us. Well, yeah, there's some truth to that, yep. But Jesus kind of says why he got baptized right here. Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. John consented. He said, okay, Jesus, I agree. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying he has to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? How many of you know that Jesus lived, and I love this song we sang this morning, Oh My Goodness, this song about the uh, life, the perfect, sinless life, and and it speaks about the tears and it speaks about the bleeding of our Messiah. Man, what a song. What, and what that song is doing is it's drawing out for us the humanity of Jesus Christ. How many of you know Jesus is fully God and he's fully man? Jesus Christ is not one who was a man first and then became God. You understand? This is important, friends. I know it's like, man, why is he preaching about this? This is like, this is Bible 101. You have to know this, that it's not that, that a man became God. It was that God became a man, okay? And, and he took on human flesh, and that means that Jesus Christ was always deity. He was always God, 100%. But the Bible teaches us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ laid down. And, be, and what that means is that he didn't operate in his, the fullness of his deity, that he laid his humanity down to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that in a second. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says that Jesus Christ is without sin. In other words, that throughout Jesus' whole life, he never sinned. Never sinned once. Was Jesus Christ tempted? Yes. But he never sinned. He never sinned. I know some of you watch. I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to do it. I know some of you watch The Chosen. Now listen. Some nice things, but they messed up in that show because they, they, Mary calls out that Jesus had a transgression in that show. He never sinned. He never erred, He never did anything against God. Amen. All right. Just show, I'm just telling you. All right. I'm gonna keep going. Someone's going to find out. Andrew at com. You can send an email. Um, Hebrews 14 says that, that this righteous act of baptism shows us that Jesus intended on doing everything rightly. That, that Jesus didn't look at what, what human beings were doing and say, you know, those are institutions and things that God has established. I'm going to do them too, because so did, so here's a question. Did Jesus go to Passover his whole life? Did he eat a Passover meal his whole life? Did he take part in Jewish customs? Of course he did. Of course, of course he did. But did Jesus need to be delivered? I mean, we're talking about the Passover meal. And the Passover meal signifies that, that, that God overlooked sinners to save humanity. Jesus, he didn't need to be delivered from sin, but he partook. He partook because God had established and instituted Passover. Where am I going with this? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved, right? Amen? Come on, this is an easy one. Yes. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved. And I just think that's kind of a simple perspective. What's the grander scheme? And I think there's so many. um, I I live like this for a long time. I miss this part of salvation for a long time. It took me a long time to realize this. I just want to share this with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, shows us this grander scheme. It says that for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, listen, please. If you don't listen to anything, listen to this. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of your sins. God punished Jesus as if he committed all the sins that you have committed. Just take a few moments there now. To see that image of Christ on the cross suffering and dying in pain. Carrying the weight of your sins. Jesus is perfect. And we get that. He paid for my sins. Now. God treated. Then God treated Jesus. As if He lived your life, Amen. You, you tracking with me here? You understand what I'm saying? God treated Jesus as if He lived your life. Is your life is your life just so amazing? You are so perfect, so Mister Wonderful, Missus oh, Beauty Queen. I was so fine in high school. Look at you now. No, I'm kidding. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Golly, man, y'all are so so sensitive. My goodness. I was a buck 80 in high school, man. I'm telling you. I I can relate, all right? The six-pack and everything. I don't know what happened to that. I told myself, you know, this year I'm going to get a six-pack. Right before I ate that barbacoa taco. I'll start Monday, hey man. How many of y'all have Mondays, right? Like every week, I'll start Monday. I'm gonna start Monday. You said you were gonna start January one. Yeah, right. You can start Monday. Monday. Monday comes. Hey, what do you what do you want for breakfast? Give me two tacos right now, man. I'm ready. The amazing reality of the cross is that God treated Jesus as if he lived your life. Now, remember, Jesus lived not just a perfect life, but a righteous life. Amen. He lived a righteous life. This is important. Because now there's an exchange that is happening on the cross. So beautiful. The wondrous reality of grace is not just that God treats Jesus as if he lived your life. He then treats you as if you lived Jesus' life. You understand that? That means that when God looks in the Lamb's book of life and he sees Andrew under it says lived a perfect life. That that God has imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. We don't deserve that, friends. We do not deserve this grace, this lavish grace. Amen? Beautiful. You couldn't just come down on a Friday, you know, and then die and then rise on Sunday and go back. There would have been no righteous life. It's the righteousness of God lived out in the life of Christ and now put to your account. Your sin was placed on Jesus. And according to the words of Isaiah, we talked about this in our week of fasting. He clothes you in righteousness, robes of righteousness. Beautiful. So why did Jesus be baptized? To fulfill all righteousness would satisfy God. Now, back to Luke. So there's this dialogue between John and Jesus, and finally John caves and says, okay, I understand. Boom, I'll baptize you. So he baptizes Jesus. Now, at this point, you might think, somebody's going to get the wrong idea. Somebody is going to think Jesus is a sinner. Amen? Somebody's going to see Jesus in the water, and they're going to be like, oh, boy. Behold the Lamb of God who's getting baptized as a sinner. This is a problem. And John is concerned. You know who's not concerned? Jesus is not concerned. Verse 21, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also Had been baptized and was praying. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Big crowd watching. John is worried. Jesus is a, people are going to think Jesus is a sinner, but heaven makes sure that nobody would get that idea. Amen. John is baptizing, waiting for that confirmation of the Holy Spirit to come down to rest on him. And that's what happens. Just think about this moment now. Jesus is standing in line with all the other Jews. There's no halo around his head. He's a carpenter. No one knows who he is. And he comes to his relative, his cousin, very likely his second cousin. And John embraces Jesus. He grabs him, and he puts him in the water. And at that moment... Heaven was opened, and down comes the Holy Spirit, and out comes the voice of God, the Father. Friends, what all this is, is divine confirmation. We have here the beauty, the majesty of the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In one moment, simultaneously, this is a moment the heavens declare, this is the Savior. This moment echoes in eternity, this is God's Son. This is Him. This is the Savior. And all three are present. This is one of the great Trinitarian texts of the New Testament: Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—all three. I want to just take a moment. There is a heresy in, church, in, the, in, church, in churches today called modalism. Everybody say modalism. You're gonna. This is important because it's an error and it's a heresy. And there are many other false heresies that flow out of this heresy. Amen. And modalism teaches that God has different modes and that he is not three in one simultaneously. He is not eternally three persons, but yet he is eternally one person who puts on different masks at different times. This is an ancient heresy. It's not recent and it's very mainstream in the United Pentecostal Church. This is called a oneness church. There are some churches called apostolic churches. They do not believe in the Trinity, but they have similar names. They believe in Jesus, right? They they have um, very similar services and similar buildings, and so you would think there's no error here. This is a heresy, friends. The Trinitarian doctrine is essential to the Christian faith, okay? It's essential, it is not this well open-handed, close-handed issue, you know. Well, you know, well, maybe yeah, there's some confusion. No, no. God, Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all co-equal, all eternal, one being, three persons. All right. And so, in this event, you cannot have modalism. This is one of the passages that hits the oneness view with a death blow. What's interesting, what's beautiful about this moment is that as God the Son, he is always in full communion with God the Father and God the Spirit. There is no breach of essential relationship. It is still one God eternally manifest in three persons. And this is important for the Jews to see this. To see this confirmation, to see that this grand event is now has taken place where Jesus comes up out of the water. Here is God, the son being confirmed by God, the father with a voice and the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the Bible says that that the Holy Spirit came upon him. In the form visible to all, like a dove. In verse 42, verse 1, this is a prophecy that many, many people would have understood. Many Jews here would know this passage. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. What does this mean? That the Jews are looking for the Messiah, and the Messiah will be confirmed by the Holy Spirit. And here at the baptism, we have the Holy Spirit and the Father confirming Christ. And I just want to speak to this dove thing for a second. Oh, yeah, we're going there. You see that logo on the church? I designed that logo. I take a lot of pride in that logo. It's a dove. But here's the thing. The Bible does not say... The Holy Spirit came down as a dove, like a dove in the appearance of like a dove. That does not mean a bird came down and landed on Jesus. Doesn't mean that. At, like a dove. In other words, and there's this beautiful um, there's this beautiful idea because you know, excuse me there could have been many other birds used, right? Could have been a cardinal, could have been a hawk, an eagle, whatever. But there's a beautiful idea about the dove, right? It's beauty, it's purity, right? Coming and confirming Christ. This is a beautiful illustration, but there was a, the visible form of the Holy Spirit coming down like kind of like fluttering and just moving down and very visible to everyone who would have seen Jesus that this is the Holy Spirit moving upon Christ. Because if a bird comes down, nobody could... Oh, could, Hey, man, a dove came. What's that? There was There was a beautiful revelation, perfectly administered by God, to show that this is the Holy Spirit of God, very clear, very pure, and I was thinking about this. The Holy Spirit. You say you, you want uh, you want somebody to relate? You want you want to relate to this story? How many of you know that you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen. Do you understand that? Like if you're struggling in your walk with God, I would just tell you Christ is our example. Christ is our example to lean and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ never, ever stopped being God. The Bible shows us that he set aside the independent use of his deity, of his fullness, of his power. He didn't get rid of it. He never ceased to be God, but he set set aside the use of his deity, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Amen? Jesus, human nature, operated under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. And then we get to this culmination of the whole event. Out of heaven, the voice of God, verse 22. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Wow. Wow. With the son, Jesus, we see his activity. What is his activity? Jesus' activity is what? It's baptized, right? Getting baptized. He's baptized. And then we have the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing in this moment? He's anointing the son. Beautiful. And then we have the father. And what is the father doing? He's testifying to the identity of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 18, and John chapter 5, verse 37, that the Father bears witness of me. This is what he's talking about. The Father speaks from the heavens and declares me as the Son. The Father is the greatest witness of the Son. Amen? And he says he is pleased with him, which means that he is perfect. Perfect. I am pleased with my Son. He is perfect. Perfect in every way. And he will be the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb to save humanity from their sins. Boy, what an inauguration this is. Amen. What an event this is to see Jesus Christ. I hope you learned something about Jesus' baptism today. To see, uh, wow, what what a marvelous thing. To see the Trinity, to see the humility of John first, to see this conversation, and to see the willingness of Jesus Christ to identify with us and to show us that he's going to live the righteous, pers- perfect life that we could never live. And this ultimately, get ready, man, this is it, right? Like, we're launching into the book of Luke, like, fully, getting into chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, the ministry of Jesus begins. This is exciting. And it's just so neat that we've been building up to the introduction of Christ. Like we've been building up for, man, like two months, three months. It's so neat to finally be here and to finally see Christ introduced to us in the story. And I hope that, that you're seeing Jesus in this you know, contextual light now to see these events that are taking place, all these little details. And I hope your minds and your hearts are continuing to be opened to the reality, the glorious reality of Christ in your life. You know, the people saw it. When they saw Jesus, they saw it, man. They they saw it. The people heard it. It's clear. What more do you need than this visual representation of the Spirit of God? And you would think... Wow. The heavens have declared Christ as the son. The Holy Spirit has confirmed it. He is fulfilling prophecy. Let's welcome Jesus with our arms. Let's welcome. And he's a this is God in flesh. Let's serve him. Let's follow him. Let's honor him. And we're going to see that humanity does not respond that way. He's going to be rejected. This son of God. Would you stand with me today?